0: Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday, February the 4th. It was lashing down early doors here in TW11, but it's brightened up a little bit now. My thanks to Tom for holding the fort so well and with a variety of brilliant guests over the last week or so, as I've been in Miami and then in Saudi Arabia. Contrasting experiences, as you might imagine, but good to be back here. And tomorrow, I'm off to the Dublin Racing Festival which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. Lydia Hislop is with me this morning and the declarations is just coming in for Sunday as well. We'll talk about those in a moment. But first of all, having discussed quite a bit who might not be at the Dublin Racing Festival, are you reasonably pleased with what you see in front of you now?
1: Well, Fernie Hollow, notwithstanding, and there's nothing that they can do about that with the horse having met his second setback in successive seasons. Yeah, I think you'd be really happy. Into that um, chasm in the Irish Arkle steps uh, three Willie Mullins horses with Blue Lord seemingly the first string of the three with Paul Townend on board. Auton Collaire is there as well. He's got uh, Brian Cooper and Saint-Sam has got Rachel Blackmore and all three of those have the potential to become I think the leading novice two-mile chaser in the absence of Fernie Hollow who seemed to be pretty comfortably ensconced at the top of that pile going into this until he met his setback. Up against them we've got Riviere Tell, who has already proved her worth for Gordon Elliott, won a string of races, then ran into Fernie Hollow and pushed him when they met over Christmas and of course she has got her mayor's allowance so that's going to be a, a cracking race and the racing tv sponsored juvenile the spring juvenile looks really good as well um and that sees Vauban who of course pushed Pied Piper um, when they met at Punchestown over Christmas Pied Piper has since come out and embarrassed humiliated the best of what we thought was British Britain's juveniles Rawban might have got well, would certainly have got much closer to him had he jumped a bit cleaner and not had a clearer run in the straight. And he's up against Pied Piper's stable companion in the same ownership, Caldwell Construction, who until Pied Piper won the finesse was favourite for the, Tri- the JCB Triumph hurdle, Phil Door. Um, and now he's second favourite. So he's up against ban and there's a whole load of other horses that are pretty unexposed, Icar Allen for Willie Mullins, um, some horses that are yet to run for, for, for Willie Mullins, including Baddeley and Ilet Etant, who's making his Herving debut, and Ben Siegel, who's a bit of a forgotten horse but has talent for Noel Mead.
0: So that's a, a lovely way of teeing up uh, Saturday with the, those two races. The Irish Gold Cup is the feature, and it, it hinges, doesn't it, Lydia, on which Manella Indo is going to turn up, the brilliant Gold Cup winner or the rather listless character we've seen in two starts this season and with a brand new jockey?
1: Yeah, it's all very intriguing, isn't it? So Rachel Blackmore will be um, kicking her heels during this grade one, and instead Robbie Power, who of course is a Gold Cup winning jockey himself, he will be on board. He's only had three rides back since battling back from a three-month absence with a hip fracture Um, and only one of those three rides to date has uh, really got involved in the latter stages but clearly connections whoever's made that call whether it's the owner or the the trainer decided that Manila Indo needs something different. They gave him something different when they came to Kempton. Um, They uh, put on first-time cheek pieces in an attempt to uh, rev him up for the um, fast-paced battle that was at hand. In the end, he ended up going up too fast against Frodon. Um, Rachel Blackmore saying retrospectively that she didn't think it was his, her finest hour. The two of them um, cut each other's throats to a large degree, but also put several opponents behind them to the sword that were just unable to keep up. And on that day, Asterion Falange was due to be running very well. He prefers to go right-handed. He's now back left-handed for this Irish Gold Cup, which is a question. And also he does have a pretense, propensity to flow, throw himself to the floor, doesn't he? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Manila Indo turns up. Hasn't been necessarily at his best at this track before. He ran, uh, didn't jump very well in the Savills chase last season. And then the main missions in this race last year seemed to be to get round uh, prior to him then, of course, coming out at Cheltenham, which sits him very well indeed, and winning the Gold Cup under Jack Kennedy.
0: Well, the man with the ride on Manila Indo is Robbie Power, who's with me now. Robbie, how did you feel getting the call-up for such a high-profile horse so soon after your, after your return?
2: Yeah, I was delighted to get the call-up, um, and that's why you fight so hard to get
0: back from injury to get the, the ride in these big races. Uh, and we, was it a surprise?
2: Um, yeah, I suppose it was a little bit. Um, Henry just rang me the other day and asked me would I be able to come down and sit on him. So I went down, um, jumped four fences on him on on Wednesday morning. And um, yeah, he felt great. But um, you know yourself, when you get off for the ride these horses, you don't ask too many questions. You just turn up and, and school them and, and, and look forward to it.
0: And obviously what we're trying to work out is whether we get the Manila Indo we, we know and love or whether we, we get the one that's been a little bit listless so far this season. Are there reasons... Uh, to think that we can we can get the old manella Indo back from what you've felt and seen
2: yeah I'm sure there is you know I thought you had a very good race first about this season in, in down royal um he disappointed in the King George but many horses disappointed in the King George and bounced back. Shantry uh, House did it last week in Cheltenham so I'm not worried about the King George run you put a line through that and, and, and look forward to Saturday and he felt very good he felt fresh and well of himself when I schooled him on uh, on Wednesday so um, yeah fingers crossed he, he'd run his race.
0: And what's your game, What's your rough game plan at the moment? Uh, I have no real game plan at the moment I'll have to talk to Henry and,
2: and the owners and, and, and see what they want to do um, I'm open to all suggestions so yeah uh, Say, I've never ridden Norris before, so I'll have a chat with Henry and the owners and we'll make a plan from there.
0: And from your perspective, you're coming back from a, a pretty difficult spell with, with injury. How how hard has it been to, to get back?
2: Yeah, it's tough. Obviously, the older you get, the, the harder it is to return. But um, I've been working very hard with Andy King in, in Santry, and um, I actually was surprised how well I was when I came back after, after having a couple of rides. The, the body felt very good after it, and then. Um, that's why you have to work the, even that bit harder. Maybe 10 years ago, I would have been back a couple of weeks earlier than I was, but you have to work hard when you get a bit older to make sure you're 100% when you come back. Yeah, I had in my own mind when I got the fall that I, I wanted to be back and um, I still felt I'd, I'd I've plenty to offer as a jockey and I wanted to get back and I wasn't. it never crossed my mind that I wanted to retire. You know, I wanted to get back and get back riding and um, watching, sitting at home, having Christmas dinner and then Stevens' Day, watching horses that you could have been riding running that's the inspiration you need to get back and uh, it was pretty hard work now sitting at home over Christmas watching all the horses and watching all the racing that's been happening when I've been out it's it's been hard work to watch it so
0: that's the kind of inspiration you need watching horses running that um, you should be riding well fingers crossed for you over the weekend Robbie Um, best of luck big high profile ride for you thanks for talking to me
2: cheers thanks a million Nick
0: Robbie Power there. Now, what about Frodon, one of uh, just a handful of British challengers uh, for Paul Nichols? Are we worried about the stable form, which by its own very high standards is pretty lamentable at the moment?
1: I think that's a real concern. I mean, obviously, he always says that he has a down point in January with the flu jabs being administered to the team. But things really are <laughs> pretty bad. I mean, otherwise, I'd give Frodon a strong chance. I think the track would suit him really well. His, historically, Nichols's strike rate in February does tend to improve, but it's going to have to improve fast.
0: It is. And that all leaves us with the sort of percentage play, doesn't it, Lydia? Kenboy. I was looking through Kenboy's Leopardstown chase form and his Racing Post ratings when he's running chases at Leopardstown. 174, 169, 172, 168, 168, and most recently, just the other day, 171. I mean, that's pretty bomb-proof, isn't it?
1: He's absolutely at his best there, and uh, yes, I think he'll run really well. I mean, he Cheltenham just isn't his bag, so I think his season has probably been recalibrated p- partly to make this a key target for him. So both he and Frodon will come here with this being a key target or the key target in Ken Boy's sense. So yeah, I think he's got a really strong chance there. If Frodon gets into that metronomic jumping, that is going to ask some questions of Ken Boy because he does still adjust right at Lepistan. but he has. It hasn't, as you just pointed out, it hasn't held him back there before. It's an intriguing race, and the opening race is interesting as well. The Nathaniel Lacey Solicitors race. We've got um, Hollow Games for Gordon Elliott, who could be about to stamp himself as an Albert Bartlett horse, and I suspect he will. Stable Companion, Minella Crooner, going up in uh, grade and looking to prove himself as well. And a few from all the other top yards. So it's, it's going to be an excellent day. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: And Lydia, just as we're talking, the declarations coming through for Sunday at Leopardstown. And I mean, the key headline no appreciate it in the uh, Irish Champion hurdle. So, Honeysuckle is going to be what? Fives on?
1: Yeah, really big news that. Not, um, not entirely surprising. So, appreciate it who they've been struggling to get to the track was meant to be novice chasing this season. Course won uh, very impressively the Skybet Supreme Novices hurdle at last year's Cheltenham Festival. Um, He has now been belatedly switched to a hurdling campaign with the champion hurdle as his first big target of the season. I suspect Willie Mullins has taken the view that he had to weigh whether he wanted to take on Honeysuckle, who's obviously got her mare's allowance, and is race fit at this stage in the season where they're, pushing to get Appreciate It ready for Cheltenham or whether he'd rather take her on when Appreciate It is more fully primed at Cheltenham. Now, clearly there's the potential of taking in the Red Mills en route, but I wouldn't be surprised if Appreciate It rocks up in the Unibet champion hurdle first time out this season. Uh, Willie Mullins has done it before. He did it habitually with Quavega. He did it with Hill from his uh, novice to his um, staying hurdle season as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see from Appreciate It. It means that honeysuckle um does has a has a lot less to beat it'll be interesting to see how Zana here um handles her because he of course um has been getting closer to Charger in a really well orchestrated race last time he ran extremely well and i think he is improving so it'll be interesting to see what he can achieve against honeysuckle the yeah. unbeaten honeysuckle and shakin and besoit is there shakin besoit is in the dublin chase which i think is it wasn't a given, it's never a given with Jacqu and Bessire, So it'll be interesting to see what he can do and whether he can make any impact on the Queen Mother Champion chase and push Paul Tanend into a decision between him and Ergon you wouldn't have thought so, but if Chac and Bassoir does something big, well maybe. <music>
0: Now, Lydia, hot on the heels of the Seth Fishman story. Seth Fishman, the man who faces jail, having been found guilty of um, his part in the performance-enhancing drug scandal in the United States. We've got a a really interesting story from Bill Finlay in the Thoroughbred Daily Daily News, where Finlay has exchanged correspondence with someone who's already behind bars for selling performance-enhancing drugs.
1: Yes, this is um, Scott Robinson, who was arrested and uh, indicted for selling and shipping adulterated and misbranding drugs and uh, he claims in this very interesting and rather depressing article I sold to everybody thousands of customers and not just in horse racing he says Um, he's got an 18-month prison sentence and also was was ordered to pay a 3.8 million dollar forfeiture And uh, one year to the day that the indictments against um, 27 individuals allegedly involved in a scheme to use performance enhancing drugs on racehorses were announced. This I'm quoting from the uh, TDN article. Robinson, a drug manufacturer and distributor, became the first of those involved in the scandal to be sentenced to prison after he pled guilty to one count of drug adulteration and misbranding. The maximum sentence for that offence is five years. He's currently serving his sentence at FCI Coleman Lowe Correctional Institute in Sumterville, Florida and he was talking uh, quite openly but not to the extent that he divulged his client list and um, two things really struck me about the things that he had to say in this article and they are that um, like so many um, people who are found guilty in this area he insists that the substance he sold were not narcotics or performance enhancing agents, but product, products that were not harmful to the horse and contained vitamins, minerals and amino acids. And that's part of the self-narrative that what these people are doing is that because they're animal lovers, that the drugs are um, solely therapeutics, that they're trying to ease the suffering of animals in a punishing sport. So it's kind of blaming the sport's own culture for their... Um, actions using benign drugs and the other thing as, as they would have it uh, and the other thing the other narrative that, that struck me is what he said here which is and I think this has some merit the definition of a performance enhancing drug and a non-performance enhancing drug is a very fine line and not black and white um, I say for it to be a performance enhancing to be performance enhancing it must be a drug well clearly that requires some definition, the word drug. Um, I don't consider vitamin supplements and amino acids, PEDs, performance enhancing drugs. But the US attorney, Audrey Strauss, after Robinson was sentenced said that he created and profited from a system designed to exploit resources in the pursuit of speed and prize money, risking their safety and well-being. Robinson sold unsanitary, misbranded and adulterated drugs and misled and deceived regulators and law enforcement in the process.
0: Just picking up on, on the, the Fishman case and, and the court case from earlier in the week, I, I did ask the, the BHA if they were monitoring this case. And they said, we've been following the court case closely. We'll be speaking to our counterparts and the jurisdictions involved in this case to discuss any potential implications. I mean, really, Lydia, that's no more than, than a statement that they were aware of it. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really see um, that there's any great declaration of intent there.
1: No, I think they need to do more than that. This is a a, a background hum that's getting louder and louder. We've had the allegations and the events in Ireland recently. Now we've got this, which which is a a very serious and ongoing case. There's only likely to be more things coming out, particularly when things move um, towards or by Jason service. You were already talking about that with Pat Cummings uh, yesterday. And I think it's very interesting what happens next, particularly in his regard. And I tend to be of... Pat Cummins's view uh, as well that uh, he might be um, offering, might try and go for some sort of deal and um, or, or give what evidence he knows, and that could lead to further revelations and hopefully some impetus to to clean up the sport. But I think I think the BHA needs to be more conscious that uh, they need to uh, do more to reassure the uh, racing and betting public and people who have the have concern for the well-being of horses. Um, that they are doing as much as they can. We need to find out what they're doing, what they routinely do in the background. We need to know more about how um, or, or why they are, if they are, confident that they're, in, they're ahead of the curve in terms of performance enhancing drugs because obviously we've seen from other sports that those people who are seeking to gain an edge are obviously constantly focusing on just seeking to gain an edge, and that is not what the regulator is always constantly focusing on. So uh, it, it's always a, a bit of an arms race in that regard. We need to know whether the British Horse Racing Authority is confident that they are ahead of that curve.
0: Yeah, some reassurance now I think is is required for confidence in the sport in in this country, if not if not globally. But I, I don't think we should insulate ourselves from the possibilities that what go on uh, goes on elsewhere it, it isn't happening here.
1: Well, I, I think it would be. Naive uh, to do so, and I think it would also be an abdication of responsibilities to just assume that everything's fine in the British or Irish garden and that we should just carry on. Um, I think it's also time to have a global conversation about where that line is between totally valid and invalid medication. Um, we we need some definitions. We need some harmonisation. We need some agreements so that it is clear and people. Um, can't persuade themselves uh, that they are doing the best for the horse when actually what they're doing is to try and gain an edge and there is a lot of there's a lot of grey areas here where uh, people um, are, are feeling that they are, are reaching for something that isn't crossing a line and will help the, the horse in their care but that that line I think needs to be defined more closely.
0: Right, in other news, Lydia, one or two raised eyebrows that gambling technology supplier Playtech has signed a five year product development deal with British horse racing commercial group, The Jockey Club, um, says iGaming newsletter with a headline The Jockey Club to Launch Casino Products with Playtech Deal. Um, given our proximity to the uh, white paper uh, at the conclusion of the gambling review, it's sort of understandable that this has uh, engendered a bit of debate.
1: It seems incredibly ill-timed and quite tone-deaf. It might not be a coincidence that it seems to be Playtech, the gambling technology supplier, who made the release ahead of jocular Club Racecourse's key festivals coming up. Clearly, the Grand National Waits Lunches is, is coming up, followed by the Cheltenham Festival, followed by the Grand National itself. But I have to say, uh, it can be read as an extraordinary self-defeating move in the long-term uh, well-being of horse racing, but it can also be defended, and I, I'm sure we, we'll discuss that in a moment. But one thing it, it is very hard to argue against is it seems to me to be spectacularly tone-deaf in, to, in the context of the uh, gambling review that is currently ongoing.
0: Now, I have been in contact with the Jockey Club this morning, and they raise a number of quite interesting points out of this. They stress that the idea of, of getting into the e-gaming space to open up new revenues for the sport is a significant part of, of what this deal is all about. So virtual sports effectively and and, and e-gaming as opposed to, to i-gaming as opposed to just casino games. Uh, they say it's a licensing agreement which enables Playtech to attach the name of horse racing events to their games. And without them partnering with them, the games would go ahead anyway with different titles. So this is um, simply something to avoid licensing infringements. And by partnering with them, they're then raising revenue for horse racing with profits going back into the sport. Uh, the jockey clubs say that horse racing is already operating in this space. There's Ascot Games, AP McCoy, Frankie Dettori Games. Uh, and this is similar to what they they do when they license the production company Calm to to operate the Virtual Grand National, something that I've been involved with over the last few years.
1: Uh, and they. they
0: say, yeah, yes, of course. Mm. Of course. Um, but it's definitely not a virtual Lydia Hislop.
1: <laughs> God forbid! Really, you don't want them to be <laughs> multiplying. That that would not that would not be good. Um, I suppose first of all we should come back to the difference between e-gaming and i-gaming because from what you just said there, the jockeys were talking about e-gaming, so sort of like virtual reality gaming, um, and the Playtech. Uh, press release is, fo- fo- is focused on iGaming. They say the new content will span casino, live casino, poker, virtual sports, I suppose that, that, that is at eGaming, but it's only fourth in the list, and bingo. Um, and the first offering from the partnership will be launched in time for the Cheltenham Festival.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they say, they go on to say that the, the products Playtech and gaming operators produce are always subject to whatever the regulation is at the time. And they say the Jockey Club has done due diligence on Playtech's industry leading responsible gambling measures. Um, because clearly they support safe gambling and they say they have a track record of creating successful sports iGaming products, in particular successful horse racing iGaming products. I suppose what you really need to know is oh, how much money, how much revenue is this going to generate for the sport and, and does that then make it, it worthwhile, whatever your ethical stance on this?
1: Absolutely. We need to know how much, how, how much money is involved. Um, I think that's, that's only fair. Um, Because the jockey club are lending their historic credibility to this company by allowing them to use the names of their historic races and their historic race courses. And and that shouldn't be sold cheaply. There'd also be a a concern about what racing's long term future is um, in the modern world given the direction of travel, the, uh, the more, more and more risk averse society of the modern world and the moving towards a sort of virtual space. I suppose there, w- there might be some concerns that um, the jog club race courses are conspiring in their own downfall. But I-, I also would like to know what that due diligence that you refer to is. I really want to know what that is. And I want to know what that is, not just for Playtech, but for every gaming or betting company that every race course uh, has an, a commercial arrangement with because clearly over the years there have been instances where uh, companies that sponsor uh, races or have a commercial relationship with uh, race courses, but also with with trainers as well don't forget and, and, and potentially with with riders as well um, have been found um, not to have uh, a resp- responsible gambling measures and not to be pursuing safe gambling so I want to know how good that due diligence is and I think that's a really important and pressing question and I think it's really important and pressing because it seems to me that any 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 old iron, any new betting firm can uh, put their name against some top races at top race courses and get the adver- advertisement that way and I would like to know what questions they are asked before they do that. I'm also interested in the whole concept of where casino gaming sits with uh, betting on horse racing or and, mm-hmm. and other sports. And like you, we've discussed this before, haven't we, Nick?
3: Yeah. I
1: think it is um, a bit smug to say <laughs> horse racing good and non-sports gambling, oh, bad, bad. But what I do think is that there's only so much money to go around with punters. And I do think there should be separate uh, betting, um, sports betting and get iGaming um, wallets because um, I think that there is in terms of the engagement of technology and this was shown to be the case during fob tees, and it's certainly the kind of technology that facebook for example pursues um and uh, also other gambling sites ways tricks means to keep their players online for longer and that is not something that sports necessarily do the sport takes place at the time it does and then you have to wait till the next event now clearly there can be quite rapidly the next event but it's not as rapidly as the the lack of time for reflection and the time for pause as there can be with say casino gambling and so I think it would be definitely good for the long-term future of sports betting and horse racing and under this gambling review for there to be separate wallets and there's some degree of separation between um, iGaming and sports betting. I haven't heard Jockey Club racecourses advocating this and I think they should and the final point is that I think these are not separate entities in the eyes of the public, uh, anti-gambling campaign campaigners, or even necessarily governments, just yet. You know, they they just see, or well, many of them do, gambling equals bad, and um, the the li- the closer linking via this deal of horse racing to casino products is very ill-timed, and as I said totally tone deaf to the conversation the fervid debate that's being had on this subject it's almost as if jockey club race courses aren't aware it's going on
0: i mean in the the conversations i've had with them and what they've told me i mean there there's a clear recognition on the jockey club's part that this the timing of this release isn't ideal and that it's playtech who released the details not them and that this has been in the making for 12 14 months so there's clearly a recognition there, but as you say, the, the timing could have been an awful lot better.
1: Yeah, well, they were, they were doing the deal nonetheless. And uh, it's best to be upfront about these things and have a good reason why they were doing it. And they have made, taken some steps to explain. I think they need to provide more information.
0: Now, a hotel, perhaps with some of the strongest horse racing connections is, in Ireland, is, is set to reopen and has been described as one of the most exciting hotel openings in 2022 by none other than Condé Nast Traveller magazine. It is the the Cashel Palace, um, cheek by jowl with the famous rock of Cashel. And uh, Melissa Steele is uh, running sales and marketing for the reopening of the Cashel Palace, which is now in the ownership of of the Magna family, having formerly been owned by Vincent O'Brien. So in many respects, Melissa, this this is an entity that is coming home.
4: Yes, indeed. And and the hotel, you know, it's been a hotel um, since the 1960s. And as you say, formerly um did have a son Vincent O'Brien as its proprietor in the 80s. Um, But yeah, it sadly had to close in 2014, which was a huge blow to the local community to see, you know, such a central part of the town lie empty. Um, Yeah, however, it was purchased by the Magna family in 2016. um, And since then, under a team uh, led by the general manager, Adrian Bartels, Who's worked closely with Sue Magna and Jerome Casey, it's been meticulously restored um, and brought back to life to become the stunning rural retreat um, it is now. Um, you know, for anyone that's ever visited Coolmore, that they'll know the high attention to detail um, in everything that they do there, from the way the stallions are presented to the way, you know, the hedges are trimmed so immaculately. And, um, and that same high attention to detail has been carried through in everything that the, the Casual palette has to offer. And it's going to be a great source um, of in, employment in the area, um, which, is, which is one great thing. It's also hopefully going to be a fantastic base um, for members of, of the racing community and uh, Uh, you know, tourists
0: from around the world. I mean, in all honesty, it's a pretty easy sell, I I guess. Perhaps what people don't realise is is the sort of historical um, significance of of Cashel itself and and right by the, the rock, which was, as I said, the traditional seat of the kings of Munster for years before the Norman invasion
4: yeah exactly and as, as legend have it, had it uh, has it um St. Patrick himself um once visited um and yeah the whole, the whole area is absolutely steeped in, in history um the original um building of the Cashel Palace is a, a Palladian manor that was originally built in um 1732 um for the Archbishop at the time so it's got a, a great history within the Catholic Church um and also great links to um the Guinness family. The um, the uh, Archbishop that lived there in the 1700s was the godfather of Arthur Guinness. Um, and uh, the story story goes that in his will he left 100 um, pounds to Arthur Guinness. He used that money to then buy his. 999-year lease of St James's Gate in Dublin, which is now the home of Guinness. So, we've got great links to 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 that family, and um, the original Guinness um, bar has been um, restored as well. So, so for those um, looking for for the best pint of the black stuff outside Dublin, then um, hopefully we'll be able to provide that too. <music>
0: So it's Friday, which can only mean one thing. It is Global Rankings Time with our friends at Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. And this week's top 10 read as follows. Contrail, the 2020 Japanese Triple Crown winner, now retired, is down one. At nine is Golden 60, the Hong Kong star, defeated on his latest start. He's also down one. At eight, will he be the European star this season by Eid? He's also slipped down a place. Down one at seven is the now retired Palace Pier. And down one at six is Nature Strip. Hopefully, we'll see the Australian star at Royal Ascot this summer. At five is Euphoria. Will he be Japan's horse of the year again? Down one. Four, Gran Alegria. Down one. Three, down two. He didn't hold on to the top spot for too long. The Breeders' Cup Classic winner defeated in the Pegasus. Nick's go. He's off to stud now. Steady at two, the now-retired St. Mark's Basilica. And up 13 places at number one. The new global rank number one. Life is good after his Pegasus. Romp. It wasn't quite the matchup James Willoughby we thought it was going to be. In fact, it was entirely one-sided. It was enough to put Life is Good on top. How did he do it?
3: He did it from the front, Nick, and that was very significant. It is significant in dirt races. And I think that's when we look retrospectively at Nick's go and his performance. In the Classic, he got such a good ride. He, on our figures, improved by five points. And going into the race, I wrote a piece on thoroughbredracing.com suggesting that Nixgo had it to prove that that the Breeders' Cup Classic wasn't something of a kind of career top down to the run of the race. And I think we saw, actually, that when he is denied the lead and he is denied getting into a rhythm up front, he's not quite the same horse, whereas Life is Good by dint of his spectacular early pace was able to dominate what was a thrilling running of the Pegasus.
0: I thought after the race that Nick go had performed underperformed so significantly that life is good would have a job getting all the way to number one in the rankings but Matt Bener as you heard on the podcast that we did the following day um, rejected that notion and it seems as though the rankings ha- have fallen somewhere in between but it-, it was enough to get life is good to the top
3: yeah somewhere in between I would agree uh, I think we you have to cap the performance of the winner because of what was behind. Third place stiletto boy ran a career best effort on our figures, uh, but he is limited uh, as, as a horseman past form. He's not a multiple spectacular grade one stakes horse himself. And so we rated the performance on the world's best racehorse rating scale of 127 for Life is Good, whereas Life is Good's own Breeze Cup Dirt Mile performance is 130, and that remains his best effort. But that's enough to get him. To number one, his two best efforts are 130 and 127. Nick's goes two best efforts, one twenty-nine and one twenty-six.
0: What did you feel about the race watching it, James?
3: I felt that I was watching a global superstar, Nick, and it didn't surprise me that life is good, did it, either. He's only suffered one defeat on his six-race dance card, and with the best will in the world, Mike Smith was a large part of that. Um, even so... In that seven furlong race, he was defeated by a very good horse in Jackie's Warrior, and he finished really strongly. Even that day, he looked like a, a star in the making. At the Breeders' Cup, he confirmed that um, easily, and then he's done it again. And I think there's a lot more to come from the horse. He's lightly raced. He's very instantly to Todd Pletcher with a really top horse again, and cutting a slightly more different and maybe slightly more open and and, and warmer, dare I say, figure than. In his heyday uh, as a former TRC world number one trainer mm. himself um, and I think this horse hopefully now will be campaigned aggressively to show to the whole world uh, that life is is very good.
0: Now he is not this week's biggest TRC climber and the wh- horse that is the biggest TRC climber this week is is fascinating because That, James, is a horse that we've discussed quite significantly, and he hasn't even been out of his stable in order to climb from 60 to 39, and he is...
3: Flightline, yeah. Uh. Uh, While the TRC computer may have been guilty of overrating the Breeders' Cup Classic by a point or two, I thought it was guilty of the other sin when it came to the Malibu stakes back on Boxing Day. Uh, Flightline, on that occasion... Uh, was rated 122 by the, the, the computer, but he beat Baby Yoda, who didn't have much group race form, but had got a 114 by a speed figure from a non-graded stakes effort with Stiletto Boy, and he's the significant figure in this conversation. He was 12 and a half lengths back in third. So you look at that, you've only got one performance from this mightily promising horse flight line, and he's got a subsequent Pegasus third, 12 and a half lengths behind, and that horse, Stiletto Boy was beaten only four and a quarter length by the horse that we're now tagging as the world's number one. Yeah. So although we can't raise flight line anymore because we believe that a horse should be defined by a portfolio of his efforts, that every performance has a distribution of errors around it. That is, you don't observe something with certainty. You observe it uh, with the, the, the covariates being the run of the race and things like that. So you can never be sure how good a horse is until you've seen a few efforts of it. And so we're cautious conservative careful with uh, this mighty f- flight line but in terms of that raw performance there can't be much doubt that was absolutely off the scale and let's hope you can do it again
0: and it's possible that flight line could meet life is good in the met mile at belmont park in the middle of the year but only possible because if they go up in distance with life is good for say the dubai world cup it's quite difficult to conceive that they'll they'll come back to a mile mid season but it's it's not impossible let's hope there's another matchup And this this baton of world number one with these American superstars could be the uh, rapidly changing TRC baton that we've had.
3: Yeah, I did a report this week looking at the progress of American thoroughbred horses, American bloodstock in general. And um, there is definitely signs of a revival in in the rankings of American horses. They're just beginning to turn. they were right at the bottom of the U-bend. Interestingly, American bred horses... Those with with a USA suffix after them have plummeted quite spectacularly from the... You'll remember, lucky that European bloodstock was virtually dominated by American breads at one one point. No longer the case anymore. But there is a fight back in progress. And I think it's these two horses, let's hope they do clash. Because the problem for racing over the last few years, it's been exceptionally good at avoiding clashes between horses that the public wanted to see. And this is a a match-up, this is a clash that could really do a lot for American racing in general on the planetary level.
0: Yeah, and boy, it needs it. James, this wouldn't be possible, this segment we do every week, these rankings, all the work that you've put in wouldn't be possible without the the extraordinary work over the years of a a man who's just stepped down as editor of TRC and, and with whom you've been associated for a long time.
3: Yeah, Chris Smith is his name, and a truly great man, I believe. Former editor of the Racing Post when I was there as well. And there are certain people in your life that really sort of back you and are in your corner uh, in the rough times. And I like the, the two people for me that I would most like to identify him and Jim Ramsey, a former, uh, a racing, a TV racing, uh, at the races days too. And, you know, these characters put their heart and soul behind the scenes. And, and, and you know, the endless hours that I spent talking about World Thoroughbred Racing and the nuances of ranking and rating horses with Chris. It's a shame now that, of course, we haven't got a professional reason to do that. But he has been replaced by someone I hold in very high regard in Nick Godfrey, who's another person I've known for ages, who's a racing post stalwart for many, many years. And so this will take um, ThoroughbredRacing.com to another level as well as we go forward. So, you know, I think it's it's the people in your life that make it your career worth uh, having and, and those are two gentlemen, I definitely like to uh, to tag.
0: All right, James. Thank you very much Lydia is still with me and has a tip for whenever you like
1: I'm going back to a horse I have tipped before, and I was frustrated when Don Levant ran into a, a race that was more steadily run than I was expected than was expected by me. Certainly in the Lanzarote, uh, he now runs at Sandan on Saturday over just shy of three miles. I think that long straight, the rise of the straight, is going to suit him really well. So it's Don Levant in the two fifty-five at Sandan on Saturday, the fifth of February.
0: Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. It's good to be back. We will see you again on Monday. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.